0: Good morning, Lakeview Church, and Merry Christmas. Oh, it is so good to be together, and was looking at the weather earlier this week and thinking that I might just be looking at, like, people who are paid to be here, like my staff, because I was looking at the wind chills and thinking... I don't know if people are going to come or not, but I'm so glad you're here and so glad we get to spend just a few minutes together this morning worshiping him and in his word. And for those of you who are joining us online, just want to take a moment to look right into that camera and just say, we are so glad that you have gathered with us today, and we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. We're so glad that you're here, and we want you just to enter into this time with us this morning. Now, I love the holidays. They are just so much fun uh, for so many reasons, right? There's festive meals with all the things that you really like, the things you're not supposed to eat, with all the extra calories. And on the holidays, you just forget about calories. They do not exist. At the holidays, you just forget about them and you eat the food anyway. There are extra football games, and depending on where you're from in the world, football might mean different things for you. But there are lots of extra football games at this time of year, and there are uh, there's more music, and there's decorations, and there's parties, and there's cookies. Can I get an amen for cookies? Man, we have got some cookies at our house and fudge. People have given us fudge. Praise God for fudge. It is so good. So many things about this holiday that I love. So many things. But one of my favorite things about this holiday is the movies. Not the Hallmark movies. Those are, those are not that great in my opinion. Just, just my opinion. But movies like It's a Wonderful Life. Movies like White Christmas and Holiday Inn, movies like Miracle on 34th Street, and then what has now become a classic made over 20 years ago now, Elf. Watch out for the yellow ones, I'm just saying, for those of you who are Elf fans. And, and then there's one of our favorite movies, which we watch every year, A Christmas Carol. Now, there are lots of different versions, and you probably have your favorite. We have our favorite, and it is the 1984 George C. Scott version. That's the one that we like the most. I see that hand. Yes, amen. We have other fans of that particular one. And you might have fans, you might be fans of another version, and that's fine. The the story, if you're not familiar with it, was originally written by Charles Dickens in 1843, It was just a short little novella that he wrote to speak to some of the issues of his day. And he published the the first version of this story in 1843. It came out on December 19th, and by Christmas Eve, it had sold out. It's the story that he wrote about a guy named Ebenezer Scrooge who is haunted or, or has a visitation from his former business partner, Jacob Marley. Jacob comes and then introduces the fact that there are going to be three spirits or ghosts. The, the, the ghost or spirits of Christmas past, the, the ghost and spirit of Christmas present, and then the ghost or spirit of Christmas yet to come. And these ghosts visit him all in one night and Ebenezer Scrooge is amazed that they did it all in one night because they take him on this far ranging journey through his past and his present and even looking in to the future. And it is this story that he gets to participate in on this one night, on Christmas Eve, leading into Christmas Day, that really is transformative for him. As he is visited by these three ghosts of past, present, and future, he's transformed. He becomes a kinder, gentler man. And he promises at the end of this story to celebrate Christmas truer than any other man has ever celebrated it. There's something that happens when we look at a story, not just at a moment in time where we dig into an event within the story, but but when we step back from that event and we look at the bigger picture, the scope of the story, past, present, and future, that becomes truly transformative. It helps us to discover where we've come from. It helps us to see where we are, and it helps us discover where we are going next. And when we see that, we begin to see a trajectory. We begin to see a theme that runs through the story, and it is that theme, it is that trajectory that transforms us. Well, this morning, I want to take the next few minutes, and I promise to only take a few minutes, because I know we got other stuff that we're doing today, more of that food to eat, more cookies, calling our name. I can hear them even now. But what I want to do over the next few minutes is I want to take you through the entire Bible. Someone said to me this morning, it takes me a whole year to read through the Bible, and I can't even hardly get through it in a year, and you're going to try to do it all this morning, yes, all the way through the Bible, and we're going to start at the beginning. In the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, we read about God's creation of the world. And God begins to create this world. And as he's creating the world, he's creating the the, the lights to govern the day and the lights that will govern the night, the land and the sea, the animals that will roam on the land, the plants and the vegetation. He's creating all of these things. And at every point in the story, when he creates something and finishes a day of creation, he says, that's Good. That is good. And then he gets to the end of the creation narrative and he creates human beings in his image. And he places them inside of this creation that he has made. And after he creates human beings, male and female, he created them in his image and places them in the garden. He steps back and he says, It is very In Genesis chapter one, verse 31, it says this, then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. If you read that story carefully, you have to ask the question, what makes the change from good to very good? And I don't want to make too much of this shift, but I do think that that is the point of this passage, that God creates all that is in the world and he creates it to be good. It's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's exactly what he wanted it to be. But when he places human beings in the middle of what he has created, creation for the first moment realizes its purpose. God didn't just create the world to have a world. He created the world so he could create human beings and place them in the middle of his creation. And he did this not because he needed people. God is perfectly self-sufficient by himself. He doesn't need us. We don't don't fulfill him. We don't make him more of who he was originally called to be. He is God fully in and of himself. And yet he created us in his image. Why? Because God desires relationship. He doesn't need it, but he wants it. Creates the world, places us inside of it. And he says, that is very good. Now, in order to get through the Bible, we have to hit the fast forward button a lot this morning. And so I want to just fast forward all the way now to Egypt. A lot has happened. God has called his people, and he's beginning to form a people. And and he takes this guy named Joseph, who is the last son of Jacob, and, and Jacob is living with his family, but Joseph gets sold into slavery, gets carried into Egypt, and Egypt becomes, for God's people, salvation, because there's a famine that's going to hit the land, but fortunately, Joseph has been positioned by God to to be in a place of leadership and authority, and he actually provides food, not just for Egypt, but for all of the surrounding nations, and even for his family in a far-off land. Joseph's family gets invited into Egypt, and they come there and, and they're given a land to settle in inside of Egypt, and they prosper and they multiply and they grow. Joseph dies, a new pharaoh's put in place. He doesn't remember Joseph or even know who he is, and he sees these people who are foreigners living among the people of Egypt, and he enslaves them and begins to use them as his workforce. This is oppressive for the people of God, and they cry out to God. They want to be delivered. They want to be set free, and God sends a deliverer, Charlton Heston. (laughs) Not Charlton Heston, Moses, but played very well by Charlton Heston. I think we can all agree, and and. God raises up this deliverer and sets his people free. After 10 plagues and a splitting of the Red Sea, God's people are free. They're now out in the wilderness and they begin to traverse the wilderness. And here's what I want you to know about what God does with his people. Exodus chapter 13, look at what it says. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire, it allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of from its place in front of the people. So what has God done? God has has created people in the garden. He's walked with them. He's talked with them. He's related to them. Now they've come into this place in Egypt where they've been enslaved. They've now been set free. They're wandering in the wilderness. And who is with them in the wilderness? He was with them in the garden, and now God is with them in the wilderness, leading them. He's out in front of them. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And then whenever the people of God stop, and they set up camp, they would put up in the middle of their encampment a tabernacle and the tabernacle was the place where God's presence would dwell when they were camped when they were moving when they were mobile god was out in front of them leading them by his very own presence but when they were camped and settled in a place for a little while God would dwell right in the middle of his people look at what it says in Exodus chapter 29 these burnt offerings are to be made each day from generation to generation offer them in the Lord Lord's presence at the tabernacle entrance. There I will meet with you and I will speak with you. I will meet the people of Israel there in the place made holy by my glorious presence. Yes, I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. And then I will live among the people of Israel and I will be their God and they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them up out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. Why did God bring them out of Egypt? So he could live among them. God creates man and woman in the garden and he walks with them and he talks with them, he's with them there. And now in the wilderness, he is with them. He has brought them out of Egypt so that he can dwell with them. And we'll fast forward again now to the season that we are celebrating today, the season of the very first Christmas. This is the season which Galatians 4.4 4 refers to as the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The gospel of John talks about this moment when it talks about the Christmas story, John chapter 1, verse 14 says the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He took on human form. He became one of us. And why did he do that? To show us who God is. When Matthew talks about the miracle of Christmas, he says it this way. He says, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God creates the garden and he comes to the garden and he relates to Adam and Eve in the garden. He walks with them, he talks with them. When he delivers his people out of slavery into Egypt, he leads them and he encamps right in the middle of them so that he can be with his people. And now he comes in the form of a human being, like one of us, to be with us. That's the past. I want to talk about the present And to do that, I want to talk about a few verses from the New Testament because Jesus comes and he dwells among his people and we celebrate this miracle and this mystery every year at Christmas. The fact that our God would become one of us and dwell among us. And he lives his earthly life. He does all of this wonderful ministry, teaches, heals, does miracles, all of these great things that he does. And we get to see who he is and we get to understand more about God through his life. But then it comes time for Jesus' earthly ministry to be over. He's crucified on the cross. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he's raised again to new life. And then he spends some time with his disciples convincing them, no, I really am alive. And then he goes back to be with his father. This is what he says to his disciples when his time to go back to the Father is approaching. This is what he says in John chapter 16, verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read John 16, 7, and I read that verse where Jesus says, it's best for me to go away, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, no, Jesus, you should stay with us. Like you're God, like you could stay with us and we could have you here with us. But Jesus says, it's actually better for you that I go away because if I go away, I will be with my father and I'm going to send back the very spirit of God to be with you. In fact, he tells his people to go into the upper room and to wait for the giving of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit falls upon God's people, and, and the Spirit of God begins to work and move among God's people. Now, the New Testament writers pick up on this idea and they start to help us understand what it looks like for us to to have God with us in the present. In fact, Peter says it this way. He says, "And you, He's talking to the church. He says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 3. This is what he says. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? Do you see what God is doing in the present In the past, he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He dwelled with his people as they wandered through the wilderness. He sent his son to dwell among us, to be Emmanuel, God, with us. But in the present day, Jesus has returned to the Father, and he has poured out his spirit on the church. And we, as God's people, are living stones, and we now have become the tabernacle. The tabernacle that was in the middle of God's people in the Exodus, we are now God's temple as his people. And when we gather together, where two or three of us are together, what does it say? He is right there in our midst. God with us in the present. We've talked about the past. We've talked about the present. But what does the future hold for us as God's people? Fortunately, the scriptures give us an idea. They they point us in a direction. And if you go all the way to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter seven, we get a picture of where God is taking us. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. You see, what God is doing is carrying through the theme that we see in the garden, we see it in the exodus, we see it in the coming of Jesus, we see it in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church, what God is doing, God is taking us to be with him. This is God's desire for all of us, that we would be with him and that that he would be with us. This is what everything is moving towards, this great moment in history when from every nation, every tribe, every corner of this globe, God will gather people together and forever we will be in his presence and we will be with him and he will be with us. This is what it's all about. This is what everything is moving towards. This is the theme of the story. And if you don't believe me, just look at the next passage in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. This is what it says. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to all Who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is what it's all moving towards. Because the theme of this story, past, present, and future, is very simply this God wants to be with you, and He wants you to be with Him. This is what it's all about, the theme of the Bible. It's a big book with lots of complicated ideas and lots of confusing stories. I get it, but if we could just simplify it down to this reality, the Bible is about God's relationship with humanity. This is what it's all about. God wants to be with you, and he wants you to be with him. So as we close this service today, I wanna just give you three implications from the story of the Bible. First, I want you to see God's great desire. God's great desire is to be with his people. This is what God longs for. This is what God wants. This is what God desires. This is what God created you for, relationship with him. That's what it's all about. And some of you need to hear this today because because you don't think you're worth much. You look at your life and you think, I feel thrown aside. I feel discarded. I feel overlooked. I feel marginalized. I feel as if I don't matter and I'm not important. And I just want you to know that is not true. God created you, and he created you for the highest purpose, to live in relationship with your creator, and some of you need to hear that today. Maybe, you, maybe you've been a Christian. Maybe you don't even have any idea what a Christian faith looks like, but I just know some of you need to hear that today. You matter and you have value and worth because you are created by God. It doesn't matter whether you were wanted at birth, planned at birth. It doesn't matter. God wants you. God loves you. God desires a relationship with you. Second thing I want you to see from the story of the Bible is God's great, God's great gift. God's great gift to each and every one of us, and the gift that God's given to us is this, an opportunity to live in relationship with him. We were created to live in relationship, just like the garden says, right? God creates everything, creates human beings, says, this is very good, and he comes, and he walks with them, and he talks with them, but we know the story Adam and Eve went their own way. They rebelled against God. And when they did, it tore the relationship apart. It separated them from God. It, it, it took away their reason for cre- being created because they were created for relationship, but they pulled away from that. And humanity's been dealing with this problem ever since. And and. And God loved us so much that even though we were doing this, God sends his son to say, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way to restore that relationship, to reconcile you, to bring you back to the place you're supposed to be, to bring you back to the thing that you were created for, to live in relationship with God. We can't be good enough, we can't do enough good things to earn that relationship back, but man, God has made a way for us. And he gives us a gift, an opportunity to live in relationship with him. That brings me to the third and final thing, and that's God's great invitation. God simply invites every human being on this planet doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your education, doesn't matter your economic situation, it doesn't matter anything about who you are. God has already decided that because you are a human being, he values you, he desires a relationship with you, he gave his son to make a way for you to live in relationship with him, and he invites you into that relationship. Revelation chapter three, verse 20 says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you would just open the door, I'll come in. The passage goes on to say, we'll sit down at a table and we'll share a meal together. What's that passage talking about? It's talking about relationship. Open the door and I'll come in and we will be connected once again in relationship. This is what God has for us as his people. And so this morning, I want to invite you as we close this service, just to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you just to take a moment. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long, long time. You're already in a relationship with him. You're following him. But today you've been reminded just how much God loves you. And in this moment, I want you just to offer up, if you're already in a relationship with God, I want you to just offer up prayers of thanksgiving and praise, maybe even prayers of commitment to say, I want to walk with you more closely than ever before. But there might be some people in this room or watching online right now, you do not have a relationship with God and I just want you to know God has made a way for you to be reconciled for you to begin a relationship with him he's made that possible and even right now he's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying if you'll just open the door and let me in I'll come in we'll share a meal together we'll have intimacy and closeness and connection we'll be reconciled you'll find the reason for your existence and so This morning, if you're here or you're watching online and you say, you know what? Today, I need to start a relationship with God. I feel him knocking at the door of my heart and I wanna do that. All I'm asking you to do this morning is just raise your hand. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm not gonna draw any attention to you. I just want you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Anybody here would say, you know what? Today's my day. I'm gonna start this relationship with God today. Maybe you're watching online and, and you're sensing right now this is the moment for you. I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer for anybody in this room who feels like this is the moment or you're watching online and you feel like this is the moment. I wanna start a relationship with God. I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer and I want you just to pray this prayer from your heart. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you have made a way for us to live in relationship with you. And God, I acknowledge that there are things in our lives that take us away from that relationship. There aren't enough good things that we could pile into our lives that would bring us back to you. But God, what we cannot do for ourselves, you have already done for us through Jesus Christ. And today, on this Christmas day, for those who need to begin a relationship with you, God, would you help us just to put our faith and our trust in what Jesus has done for us? And would you bring us back into a relationship with you? God, help us to follow you every moment for the rest of our lives, to live our lives in relationship with you and from that relationship. God, would you make us different and would you use us for your glory and your honor. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, whether you raised your hand or not, doesn't matter. If you prayed that prayer from your heart and you started a relationship, I just have one thing I'd like you to do. If you're here in this room or you're watching online, I'd just love for you to let me know that you made a decision. Even if no one around you knows, that's perfectly fine. I just want you to reach out to me because we want to help you take the next steps in your journey. And so what I'd love for you to do, if you could just take 30 seconds and do this at some point before you leave this building or before you you move on with the rest of your day, just text the word FOLLOW to 765-222-5937. You're gonna just get a link that's gonna come back to you and just click on that link and you're just gonna provide your name and your email address. And that's just gonna come directly to me and I'm gonna follow up with you personally over the next couple of weeks. I just wanna make sure you have what you need to take the first steps in your faith journey. We just wanna make sure you're equipped to walk into this relationship that God has for you. So we've come to the end of our service. I know I can see the restlessness in the crowd. You guys have food that you're excited to eat and those cookies, I can hear them. They're calling our name. So would you stand this morning as we close our service? I wanna just send you out with this blessing. May the miracle and mystery of Christmas fill your hearts and your minds and your souls in deeper and newer and fresher ways than ever before. And may everything that God reveals to you in this season turn to praise and adoration and worship of the one who was born in Bethlehem's manger. That is my prayer for you this Christmas. Merry Christmas. God bless you.